Hello and welcome to Borderlines, a podcast for the discussion of Canadian immigration issues. In our last episode, episode 63, we discussed artificial intelligence deciding visa applications. Our guest was Mario Bellissimo, an immigration lawyer in Toronto. That episode generated quite the response, with one lawyer even emailing me to say that uh, he was going to leave the practice of law as a result, or at least immigration law. I think it is safe to say that the three of us in that episode had a skeptical take on the use of artificial intelligence and visa processing, and the tone of the episode was maybe a bit negative, if not fear-mongering. The three of us, after the episode was posted, received an email from a listener named Aditya Mohan. Aditya is the founder and CEO of Skive It, Inc., and Robometrics Machines, based in San Francisco. And it's these are companies, or at least Robometrics is a company, which focuses on adding cognition and empathy to machines. Aditya offered a much more optimistic take on AI, artificial intelligence, and immigration. And so Deanna and I invited him on to both explain in layman's terms what AI is, and also to lay out the case for the benefits of artificial intelligence in visa processing and a framework for how artificial intelligence can be used responsibly when assessing visa applications. I think this is a useful supplement and also standalone episode uh, to our previous podcast on artificial intelligence and Canadian immigration law. I certainly learned a lot and I think that at least I can now understand what artificial intelligence is uh, from a more technical perspective and some of the issues that might arise in Canadian immigration as this technology is implemented. If you would like to contact Aditya, he can be reached at aditya.mohan at alumni.brown.edu. I can be reached by email at steven.meurrens at larley.com, L-A-R-L-E-E dot C-O-M. And Deanna can be reached at d-e-a-n-n-a at m-c-c-r-e-a dot C-A. Once again, if you like the show, please leave a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And I hope you enjoy today's episode. So in the last Borderlines episode, we had Mario Bellissimo on, who's an immigration lawyer, Deanna and me, who are both immigration lawyers, and we were talking about the use of artificial intelligence in Canadian immigration law. And the department hasn't been too transparent about this, but through Access to Information Act requests and federal court litigation, uh, people have learned that Immigration, Refugees, and Citizenship Canada is increasingly using artificial intelligence to triage applications, approve ETA applications, and probably other things that we aren't even aware of. During that podcast, um, we expressed some concern about whether artificial intelligence, uh, for example, if there's a triaging system, how will it work? Could it perpetuate systemic racism. There have since been uh, several media articles 
that have commented on this as well as members of parliament and senators uh, in Ottawa who have also expressed concerns about the use of artificial intelligence. I also commented as a joke towards the end of the episode that it wouldn't have surprised me that someone in Ottawa might be listening and saying, hey, you know, we could barely digitize applications during the pandemic. We're nowhere near the type of stuff that uh, you are concerned about. You know, we're nowhere near that level of technological advancement that uh, people are expressing concerns about. And after we posted the article, which has been one of our most popular uh, to date, we were contacted by you, Aditya, um, and you presented a little bit more of a, and you can confirm this or not, sort of a, a don't be so concerned approach. And just looking at your LinkedIn and I, you know, you can explain more about who you are, but you're the founder, you're involved in building artificial intelligence that has human emotions, if that's correct. Um, and that we shouldn't be as fearful as maybe many are. So why don't I turn it over to you first with maybe just an introduction as to who you are and your background in this. Thanks, Stephen, for having me here. I'm based in San Francisco, California. I'm the founder of uh, Skybit and Robometrics of Machines. You can think of me as a dreamer, AI talk leader, scientist, engineer, and a VCP advisor with experience that spans more than 20 years from uh, Oracle, MIT Media Labs, IBM Research, HP Labs, Intel Research. Not very far after working for all these big companies, I realized that the best way to change the world is doing it yourself. And that's where I went into the startup world and that's what we are doing in Skyward and Robometrics machines. We are building machines that heal with a focus on creating on-edge AGI, artificial general intelligence, adding cognition and empathy to a host machine. So really building the heart of a machine. So think of this as the empathetic AI. So adding the human element to artificial intelligence. And it sounds like implicit in that, if you have to have, if you have, if you're adding a heart to artificial intelligence, well, I'm going to break this down into two parts. First, maybe if you could just summarize what artificial intelligence is, but it sounds like from what you're saying that you have to add a heart to it or that it's a current novel idea to add, say, well, by a heart, what do you mean? Like compassion, those types of things? Or why don't we backtrack? Like what is artificial intelligence? AI or artificial intelligence can be described in general terms as the discipline that involves uh, making computers to do tasks that replicates some of the functions that uh, we humans can do, especially tasks that need human level understanding and the ability to both acquire and apply knowledge. So the AI demonstrated by machines today, either when I say a machine, either software or program, does not involve consciousness, common sense, intuition and emotions. And that is typical of human intelligence. 
And the latter part is what we are really working on where we are replicating the human brain's limbic system. And that is one approach to uh, building artificial general intelligence, which mimics much more like uh, humans or us make decisions. So let's take the concept of this triage system. What would go into creating AI that would triage visa applications? How would the machine know where to start and what to look for? When we are talking about triaging uh, a visa application, I will broadly divide it into uh, two, uh, two categories of tasks. One is very simple task that uh, simple artificial intelligence like an expert systems uh, could uh, do. And these could be that uh, a simple first level assessment on application, whether they're complete or not. Digitizing some of those records, uh, which uh, you actually mentioned earlier today, is a very simple aspect to it. And this could be done in a very, very large volume without much human intervention. And uh, the statistics on AI is that AI could do a much, much, much better job than us humans in these simple tasks. Yeah. Now, just to clarify, when I say expert systems, uh, the audience may not know what expert systems are. So when we're talking about artificial intelligence, it could be broken down broadly into rule-based learning and machine learning. Rule-based learning systems can be described as AI system that rely on hard-coded knowledge. So these systems include predefined rules, or you can think about that as knowledge crafted by engineers or domain experts to build these expert systems. And these systems are predictive in nature, while machine learning does not require these predefined rules. Instead, it uses statistics to compute these rules. In other words, it learns using training data. And this makes these machine learning algorithms and systems probabilistic. So what we just covered in the simple task was predictive system where we know exactly what the input is and what the output would be. It's predictive. So in the context of say someone, like whether they would leave Canada by the end of their stay, rule-based learning would be a human saying, well, I don't know if they have a criminal record or a failed refugee claim or zero funds, we program the machine to refuse. Machine learning in that context would be, I guess what, somehow if they were feeding data in as to who was overstaying, the machine learning, mm. what happens, and then like learning its own correlations or causations to make mm. decisions. Is that that right? is correct. And to be very specific, uh, those sort of algorithms, uh, you may actually have heard about somebody calling a deep learning algorithm or the neural network algorithm. And those, to some extent, fall under the category called supervised learning algorithm, where you train that system, provide a lot of data. So in this case, uh, for artificial intelligence or deep learning system to be trained to figure out uh, whether somebody has overstayed. You don't actually have to set explicit rules. 
you feed in all the application, all the cases, all the history, and it will be able to put to be it will be able to probabilistically predict whether somebody is in a position where they may have stayed. Again, when we are talking about these systems, you're talking about probabilities. It's not 100% accurate. It's just how us humans work. And that's what deep learning systems are. And so when it does the, like with deep learning, does, does the machine ever say what it learns or does it just have results? Like what is the risk that the machine will start making decisions on its own without reporting, say the correlation that it has discovered. So suppose it discovers, I don't know, that there is a slightly higher risk that 26 year old people from Sichuan province, just a random province, 26 year old men from Sichuan province will overstay and it starts refusing or triaging based on that. Is Does it report to the human, the programmers at IRCC that this is a trend that it has noticed so that the programmer might be able to overrule it? This is where it's important to really, first of all, figure out who builds these AI systems. Is it just that programmer who builds it or is somebody else as well? And that's the most important piece, if you ask me, that uh, earlier systems, earlier software systems or programming systems, they used to be built with uh, uh, safety and uh, with, the, with the thesis that there will not be any bugs in those systems. Let's think about that way. So the trust was by default built into these systems. That's not the case with uh, the deep learning systems, uh, specifically uh, supervised learning systems, which I mentioned. And uh, more or less around 90% of the deep learning systems being used commercially are supervised learning systems. And then four to 5% are unsupervised learning systems, uh, which we have, or self-supervised learning systems, which we have not really talked about. And uh, to build any one of these systems, uh, first of all, you need domain experts. And in this case, those domain experts would be immigration department in various geographies. They understand some of those things. Uh, the example that you mentioned, uh, Stephen, that comes from prior knowledge. That knowledge is based on all the cases you have been through. Now, it, if you have been in the service for, let's say, or you've been an attorney for the last 30 years, that's the, that's the expertise you have built in. In these deep learning systems, you will be able to feed all the data, all the cases in the, in the last 20 years, 40 years, 60 years, and they will be able to figure out what the results are. And that's where the domain expertise come into picture that somebody needs to uh, figure out uh, what, what to actually learn from, really to interpret some of the data. But is it the, the machine saying, this is what I'm doing, or people looking at the results of the machine's decisions, like all of them, to say, this is what the machine is doing? When it's, it's there, this, the important piece here is uh, that uh, the domain experts 
provides that design. Yeah. Then the engineers codify the design. Then you have the data scientists and uh, AI experts or AI scientists that will then customize it and make it much more commercial rate, put uh, blocks to make sure that it is going in the right direction. Now, you are, you are, you are in the right path that, uh, in a sense, even for supervised learning algorithm, where there's a very explicit training phase, and an inference phase. Inference phases. Training is you train that system. It's just like uh, us human being that uh, when you are uh, three months old, the only thing you understand is your mom's smile. That is it. And you know that uh, your mom is the most important person in the whole earth because if you don't please your mom, you won't get the food. So that's how a kid gets actually trained. As it goes along, it gets more information or more data and it becomes much more intelligent. That's how supervised learning systems are, that you train the system. And most of the time the training is one shot job. And then you will probably have to train it again once you get more information. And then you deploy it in inference. Now, what the result a specific, let's say a candidate will get is probably becoming from uh, educator or a visa officer, but uh, those signals will be provided by artificial intelligence. So that's how I think about it, that uh, they will do some sort of uh, triaging themselves to make sure that the results are to some extent accurate. So here's where I wanna come in because um, the two of you have done a very beautiful job of mapping out some of this uh, the sort of backdrop um, for me to understand how these systems work and um, just in, a, in, a, in an ideal scenario, um, how they would operate and just for me to understand from a kind of an at a distance perspective, how the different systems might operate. But I think, I think what we sort of explored in our first episode where we discussed this subject matter is that the First of all, lawyers are fundamentally afraid of change. And one of the, the, the types of issues that we, we kind of, um, we talked about in the first episode on artificial intelligence is that we get particularly anxious when it comes to um, issues such as the rule of law and such as like the importance for us um, trying to navigate these systems with clients is um, on our, concern about making sure that compassion is infused into the system and that, you know, discretion is included in the system and that, um, that there's this very, very, there's this huge importance in making sure that these systems are transparent. So part of the thing that really gets my, my spidey senses going is when we talk about these machine, machine-based learnings and the kind of conclusions that are going to be drawn from from the systems that are utilizing artificial intelligence and you know the the conclusions and the inferences and the new the, the, the new um the new informations or the conclusions that are going to be drawn based on the information that's in the system um so like the example that steve gave that like you know let's say you have this data that's in there about here are the outcomes 
that the statistics will present to you. So let's say, for example, this group of people is a group that's more likely to overstay their time in Canada. So let's just say for an example, because this is that this group of people is more likely to overstay. So let's use the example of live-in caregivers are going to be, or people who came to Canada's caregivers, they're going to be more likely to overstay. But what might not be in the data set is that the reason that they overstay is because other programs force them to overstay because the other programs are broken. Like the permanent residence programs are broken. And so they ask them to apply before they have like you, you you're told to apply for a program before you can get a language test because language tests aren't available because the pandemic means that there are no language testing centers and then by the same time you can get your language test you don't have the language skills because you know for whatever reason like or you can't get the credentials assessment because the school can't give you your documents because there's a pandemic and then you lose status and then now you don't have status and so because you can't get the documents that they needed you to. And then all of a sudden the data pool will be learning from the fact that this group of people lost status. And then it's going to draw conclusions from this information. And so while I hear you saying that like, this is a supervised system. And so, you know, that it's not like this, this machinery is going to be learning without any supervision. But I think that the group of lawyers that are working in this area are concerned about the, the department's demonstrated willingness and ability to supervise this properly because we've seen them operating other systems and doing it inadequately and incompetently. <laughs> so I think that that's kind of where our concerns about the rule of law and about compassion and about the need for discretion and the need for transparency about what the rules actually are starts to get a really like, so I know I've just like spat out a whole bunch of stuff, but I think that I, I totally understand that we are like a little bit um, paranoid when it comes to using artificial intelligence, but this just kind of gives you a bit more information about where this comes from and just, you know, like, do you have anything that can help us and reassure us about the fact that this isn't just kind of like more ways in which policymaking and decision-making kind of gets further out of our hands and out of control? Let me answer this question in actually pieces. Uh, so first of all, I will just ask a hypothetical question and that really, uh, which is, would you really want a computer to ultimately decide a death penalty case? And that That's is precise. That is yeah. precisely what asylum application is. If you look at the southern border here in the US. And the temptation to use AI is that is that it is much more efficient but efficiency can be cold. So there is no doubt about that. So some of the work actually I have done as AI taught me there is not both on immigration, but not just on immigration, but where should AI be used? I will give you a very simple example here in Lois High School. They decided that uh, let's flip a coin to figure out who goes to that high school. And Lois High School is supposed to be the best high school here in San Francisco. The same thing actually happened in the UK where the high school system, they decided that they don't have enough information about the, of the high school score. So they will just use a predictive system to figure that out. It went really bad because what the AI system there was doing was that it was saying that, okay, if somebody in the past uh, was not able to attend a specific uh, exam and they could have been due to anxiety, for example, that happens a lot of time with high school students, then they will also do the same thing again. 
And that went really bad. So first of all, AI is uh, not magic. It is not the solution for all possible worries. And it's not just about immigration, it's outside immigration. Should AI be used in uh, uh, defense? Should AI be used in autonomous AI systems? And we have seen uh, drones killing people in Syria and all where some of that was used. So there, there needs to be a classification of AI. There is a classification of AI. Should AI be used in a newsfeed in Facebook? Probably yes, even if it's not perfect. But should it be used in a nuclear power plant? And that classification is there, and I've been working on that for a long time. And the same thing is here when I mentioned about asylum cases. I don't believe uh, no AI system could do that, although right. in my company, we are working on how to make AI more empathetic. So what does that actually entail, making AI more empathetic? If it's based it's, on, like, is it, is it taking it away from results-based to somehow overriding that, or? That's where uh, what we have not discussed so far, which is uh, unsupervised learning algorithms come into picture, where, it, where the system is not learning purely on the data. There's a very uh, simple uh, phrase we in computer science uh, know about. I started coding in uh, fifth grade, that's more than 35 years ago. And I still remember this phrase, garbage in, garbage out. So if your data that you are using to train a supervised learning system is not accurate or it's not representative, as, uh, as uh, Jana mentioned that it does not include some of those borderline cases where there will be actually some reasons for the language skills or the credentials or the pandemic. That's the problem, they're not borderline cases. They're like, they're run of the mill cases in certain categories, you know, uh, but anyways, your point is taken, but... Um, um. <clears throat> so that's, that's one thing that uh, AI in immigration is good, but it's not the solution to all the problems. Now, sorry, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. <laughs> I just wanted to answer a few other uh, sort of the pain please, points please. you brought out that AI can help. AI is excellent. It's actually better in uh, translating from one language to another. Of course. Without doubt, there's a hundred percent consent on that. So, uh, language translation can be done in real time using AI. Mm -hmm. so language skills is no problem at all uh, in in any immigration office. And actually, I would say that it should be used in every in every immigration office. And actually, that would take a huge burden off of clients to not have to go out and translate every document, huge expense, huge like uh, administrative burden of having to go out and get all their documents interpreted. It's like, interesting because I've had some requests for information where they explicitly say, now you don't need to have this translated. Oh, my God, that would be a huge improvement. Yeah. Absolutely genius. That would be brilliant. The second is credentials or administrative or the operations thing. So I'll just give you a very mm. simple example, a very concrete example. I got my uh, COVID-19 booster shot yesterday at 4 p.m. Pacific time, and it's uh, 1.35 p.m. Pacific time right now. That record is already there in my Apple wallet, the third booster shot. The whole system is automated, and that information is available right away. If I go to any club, if I go to any... Uh, uh, so we on all, I just need to show that. And within a few hours, the, the system was able to do that. That same efficiency 
can very easily be entailed in a migration system. Mm. So the idea about that, oh, we actually had a pandemic. That's why those documents were not able to be processed. That's old school. Why would in 2021 really be thinking about sending uh, paper copies and worrying about that those are not properly scanned and they're not properly OCI recognized and available to anyone in any yeah, country sure. in the world? For sure. I'm still on the, the translation one too, like, cause it's so, it's so, it's so intuitive that it's kind of, uh, it's kind of hilarious that that hasn't happened before, because even when you think like getting certain documents, like when you're trying to translate or interpret text messages, it's kind of ridiculous to do because, you know, I mean, we all know, like, if you try to interpret my text messages, like half of it's emojis and acronyms and, you know, like, you know, WTF and all this kind of stuff and in different languages and, you know, like uh, people don't speak Tagalog, they speak Tagalish, you know, and you can't get an interpreter to do it, but AI yeah. would know all of those different short forms and people jumping back and forth between multiple language. Like, uh, I'm sure that the, you could, you could embrace that and it, the system would be able to learn how people, um, you know, they speak hybrid languages. They're not even single languages anymore. So I can imagine that it would it would grow with that. But interpreters that don't live in these in-between places, they, they, they'll write back and they'll be like, I don't know what language is being spoken here. Um, can you please explain what this is? And it's like, well, she's from this place and he's from that place and they're speaking some hybrid, you know, but I can just imagine there'd be a lot of utility there. And it's not a hard problem to figure out to make a translator from any language to any language in real mm -hmm. time. You don't sure. need to be an AI expert. Uh, Google does a great job in yeah. some of that. So th these are things that needs to be there. And what we really want to think about is what I mentioned about uh, those asylum seekers, uh, not just here in the southern border of US, anywhere. They are the one who has the maximum burden. I mean, some of them cannot write, some of them cannot read, uh, some of them are really scared. Just think about a 50-year-old uh, woman with two kids in the southern border here in the U.S. I mean, she'll be scared. And that's where we got to be where I can help and also not help. So if we make the full decision-making to be re AI responsible for the decision-making, it's actually not a good thing. You need to have that compassion and empathy, which an AI system cannot do. He's saying cannot do yet, or like in 10 years, is it likely I that? Say, I would say uh, it's, uh, it's a function of uh, both technology that my company is building, but also it's the function of uh, carefully applying these technologies. So uh, I mentioned to you about self-supervised systems. Uh, we are working on a novel self-supervised system that replicates your limbic system of your brain and it learns like a child. And this concept mm -hmm. of uh, machines learning as a child is actually nothing new. It dates back to 1950, Adam Turing, who, who was the father of computer. He actually invented computer science. He actually said that, uh, let's build machines that learns like a child. Yeah. And now we are actually working on that. I think wow. part of the concern that people have is that like IRCC isn't being transparent with what is going on or the results. And I'm just wondering, like most companies that you deal with or institutions, 
is it the norm that algorithms won't be shared or results won't be shared? Because as Deanna said, like right now it's uh, the AI, it appears that, you know, we're just hoping that whoever at IRCC is reviewing this is noticing or looking for the same trends as other people might and things might be missed. Um, is it normally the case where there needs to be, where there is secrecy around? I mean, obviously Google protects its algorithm, but like other, in similar type situations to this. I will correct. Google does not protect its algorithm. Oh, it's Facebook. Okay. So most of these uh, deep learning systems have been open sourced. Oh. So uh, you mentioned about the Canadian immigration system. I mean, they nobody will work for a government agency, not AI scientists. Most of these AI systems worldwide, that's not Canada, not US, not UK, every country you can think of. Most of these deep learning systems or AI systems are not proprietary. What, so first of all, algorithms are open source. They're also nothing novel. I mean, there are only a very few companies in the world or a few very small groups in some of these even bigger companies that are working on novel AI algorithms. I mean, my company is there uh, deep, uh, Google is doing that. Uh, Facebook actually for, for now has not done anything and they are still having used their proprietary algorithms. It's not because the algorithm is proprietary to them. It's because it's a very dumb algorithm to use. It's not really serving the purpose of the consumer, serving the purpose of the advertisers. And that's one actually, that uh, the algorithm is not proprietary. What's proprietary is the data that's being used to train these systems. Yeah. And as I mentioned, garbage in, garbage out. So if uh, you are not uh, providing the data, then they, the, uh, you, you cannot, uh, somebody cannot really contest. And that's, that's the, actually the issue. This is the issue. This is a hit at 100% because um, to me, and I know that this is Mario's beef and a, a, about it. And I, you know, this is what he, I think, was saying throughout the, the podcast last time. Um, is it to me, if, if they want to uh, utilize a triage system and it's more efficient and it will be absolutely uh, more accurate and more efficient in automating these kinds of processes, I have no problem with that. I have no beef with it at all. But if they're going to be applying rule-based learning that if you are a self-employed farmer from India and that that's going to be a reason why I'm going to triage you in a certain way, I wish to be able to know that that is the, and I know that they're using that as a principle for a certain amount of triage. I don't know that because somebody's told me that's the rule. I just know that experientially, that is going to be a basis for a different type of learning. I want that written down so I can challenge that in federal court. I don't know why that should be secret knowledge. You know, they won't write it down. Well, they won't so write it down. But it's so that is my problem. And so it's and, not. Uh, really but is it them writing it down, or is it the machine has picked up the trend? That's the part that I keep getting stuck. Well, it's uh, I think the same simple principle that I learned 35 years back in my fifth grade: garbage in, garbage out. That's where AI is actually great. It does not, is cannot bias. It includes bias if somebody inherently us on the domain expert, that could be immigration department or engineer, he or she may be careless, actually gets in that. AI itself is 
not biased. I'll give you a very simple example. Diana very clearly mentioned that. Another very use case that if you're applying for uh, EB1A extraordinary ability visa here in the US, you have to US, if you are an Indian applicant, uh, you are told that, uh, that uh, the CIS will actually want letters from experts who are non-Indians and are not in India, they're in the US. And uh, now the antidote to that is, is the best minds in the world. Sundar from Google, the CEO, uh, Microsoft, Satya, all of them are actually Indians from India. Now, this specific rule will and cannot be written in a program or in a policy manual. And that is because that's what's called discrimination. So in, in a sense, uh, AI is the only way to move this big ship where that uh, bias has been not because of politics. It, it's really because these are really big departments that have been in place for the last 50, 60 years. And uh, it's the bias. So, uh, and that is what AI can actually help if crafted in the right way. So Diana, just to answer your question, they will not write it. And that's excellent. It wouldn't surprise me if they do write it. <laughs> but so, so, but what you were saying there where it's not biased, would it not, suppose it noticed a trend where those self-employed farmers from India, humans are more likely to refuse. Would the AI through machine learning not possibly start picking that up as its own trend that it should be refusing self-employed farmers from India? That's where you need uh, contestability more than transparency. So yeah. you could make a, a transparent system, but if you don't provide enough information, mm. there is no way for that debate to really happen. So transparency is one piece, but you need to educate the public that that's actually there and that could be done. But more important, you need to start the debate so that uh, attorneys can contest that. So attorneys, mm. for example, should not really care about what the data is. The data, for example, in the example I actually uh, mentioned to you is actually proprietary. So let's say we take uh, all the H-1B cases and, uh, and the USCIS has all those cases with last 30, 40, 50 years, they could actually feed into make a model and that could at least triage some of the cases. They, yeah. There's a downside to that approach as well, which we have not talked about, but at least they could do that. And that data is proprietary. You don't want the data to be available to anyone outside. It has a personal added information. Now, that said, what a attorney or what applicant cares about is two things. Is there a way to figure out whether some whether AI was involved? The answer is yes. That's a very easy job. The second is if AI was involved, and the same thing is when AI was not involved, can they contest? And that's where attorneys come into picture. So there needs to be a way to contest. So when I say transparency, is I think the transparency in the process as opposed to what that AI model is, is a better way to look at it. I have a burning question, which is that let's say, um, let's say this was a system in which the data um, led this machine to believe 
that my applicant was going to overstay because the data showed my machine that self-employed farmers were more likely to overstay, okay? How would I know that? Like, like in, an, in a human system, the officer is going to be required to issue written reasons. What happens in the machine-driven system? Does the machine have to produce some statistical justification? Like, what is the reasons that come out of this system? That's right on point, and AI could do a much, much better job in that. Okay, uh, so that tell was, me about uh, that. Yeah, that's funny, Dan. I actually think AI is less likely. I feel like AI would be more honest about what's going on. Yeah, exactly. Well. This goes back to what we were talking about with way back, way back with um, Sean Rehag about yeah. credibility determinations because we were, so Sean Rehag, uh, just to fill you in a detail, he's uh, an academic uh, up here who talks about credibility determinations in the refugee setting. And, you know, you know, an, a, an adjudicator in a refugee hearing will just say, well, I'm, I'm refusing your claim because I just don't find you credible. And Professor Rehag will say, well, what exactly is a credibility finding? Like, I just don't believe you? Well, but what is that? Is that because you, you know, raised your left eyebrow or because, you know, your nose scrunched up? Like, what is a credibility finding? And now if you're asking that same determination of a computer, like, is there some, like, qualitative, quantitative uh, data that is going to be produced? So I'm just really interested in, like, in that work permit refusal, what is the computer going to tell me as to why my uh, self-employed farmer from India was denied? Like, what is the reasons going to? What are the reasons going to say? So, first of all, the most complex part, which is sentiment analysis, and most of the systems available today sucks. They're not accurate, and that's one of the reasons. Uh, even if you look at uh, the Facebook announcement about facial recognition, they actually removed it. Uh, just uh, two weeks back. And that's one of the big reasons. Uh, there was a case in uh, England and Wales about using facial recognition. And facial recognition, to some extent, relates to sentiment analysis or and all that. Uh, NSA and CIA also uses some of these software. Now, that is not really accurate. So, and that's a hard problem to solve. And, and my company is actually working on it, where we are trying to figure out uh, uh, Actually, we're working on on the aerospace and elderly use cases. Uh, on elderly use cases, if uh, if somebody actually have Alzheimer, so we're using uh, some of these technology of building it as a neural amplifier. On the aerospace, we are looking at uh, if somebody is feeling sad in a cockpit. We we, sh we should know that. So there's oh good goodness. side to it. There's good side to it, but it's a hard problem to solve. The, the So that's a harder problem. They could, and I think that will be coming in the future, but right now it's not enough, it's not accurate enough to be in a generalized setting. You can do you it design in, software so that if you see two people looking at each other in a photo, you can tell if their relationship is real and not entered into for... Oh my goodness! <laughs> well, this, well, so those are some of the things that we have been looking at. Oh my and, goodness! Uh, that's where blows my mind. The yeah. and uh, obviously just we are building things just like humans do. So really replicating the limbic system. So your girlfriend or your boyfriend or your husband or wife, you know them really much more, much more well. So you so they kind of train you to figure out what they are. So that that's yeah. what we are really doing. Now that's on the complicated side, but what's there today, for example, that uh, AI could provide better boilerplate explanation that are personalized to an applicant. 
And that is because it has all the information that's available for that applicant. It has, it can go through tens and millions of other cases and really provide personalized information. A simple statistics, H1B is here in the US, it take, uh, H1, uh, educator has about 15 minutes to process this much amount of information, mm. loads and loads of information. There is no way to assess or even think that they have read everything. That's one machine doesn't where, get tired or distracted yeah. or yeah, or it doesn't get into so, a bad mood. It doesn't have a, a vendetta against the applicant or any of that stuff. Yeah, so they could process it in a much more comprehensive way. Oh. Uh, although we got to be really careful about uh, some of the technologies that are not yet there. One okay. of those technologies is uh, these uh, large scale the language transformer models. Uh, that's, that goes into the self-supervised learning area where you're training these uh, models from pretty much uh, millions and millions of web pages. You just shove in all the data, all the Reddit posts, and you actually have a language model that actually answers just like us humanly. And uh, with the new area of, of that is foundation model. So it's not just about language, it's about images and all it's been trained where you are training it with lots and lots of data. And that's where some of the controversies right now is. GPT-3 from OpenAI is there. Bird from Google actually is there. Now, if these models work, what they can actually do is uh, they could actually craft a very personal message and answer in a chatbot. They could provide a much more personalized uh, boilerplate for why a specific application was denied or accepted in that case. And these could all be available online to yeah. the applicant yeah. right away. Now, the downside is that uh, what I've seen is that some of the government agencies and also the private sector, they get just too excited when they think about these. And part of the reason being that they're not the one who are building the system. It's uh, somebody they contracted. And if that contractor doesn't have the expertise, they will build systems that does not get the right results. And that's where some of these foundation models actually are, where they seems to do a great job. For example, they could write a Hollywood movie from the scratch, but uh, you will actually get really bored after, if you try to do a dialogue conversation with them. And uh, that's not what uh, they're in the marketing or the PR, where these models seem to be that they were great but they actually are a very initial state. And that's what we need to be really careful about. And that's where transparency and contestability comes into picture that we at least need to know that they're using something like GPT-3. Mm. Yeah. No, there's um, like Deanna and I both do a lot of, uh, or a fair amount of litigation. And one issue that always arises in immigration, when you talked about that thick stack in an immigration application, it's, arguing that an officer didn't consider a document. And I was thinking this morning that with AI, that argument isn't going to be possible because it's programmed to consider everything, but it might change to some sort of an assessment of is either human oversight needed on a decision, like a specific refusal or whether the AI, I don't even know how, like, I mean, you might be able to comment on, um, cause with the work that you do with empathy, how you could determine whether human oversight is needed to see if a human 
would reach a different outcome than a machine? Both a machine, a human being like a judge or a visa officer, or even an attorney, these are all probabilistic systems and they follow the realistic theory. That's how our brains are. Yeah. And especially on the machine side, if you're looking at self supervised system, they uh, don't follow the Newtonian physics where you know exactly if you know the mass and, uh, and the acceleration, you know where that person will be. So that's where the biases also come into picture because we are, well, just human beings. We are also probabilistic machines. There was a very good uh, 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 presentation about how judges have intrinsic here in the, in the US system has intrinsic biases. And uh, there was a study by some of the law professors at University of Hawaii where they found out that the judges here in the US and they actually interviewed close to 300 judges that some of the, a lot of the judges has a very high intrinsic bias against uh, American, Asian Americans and Jews and they were favorable to white and Christians. And we are all human beings, so we should not, and there is no way to remove those biases because these biases are experience and experience mm -hmm. does help in a lot of cases. We just yeah. need to be aware of these. And that's what we need to realize is that, uh, that uh, we, should, as we should not really focus on trying to figure out how these systems work. What we want to focus on is having, I would say, a tiered system where AI is not on the front line. The decision mm -hmm. is still being made by a human being, especially in some of these uh, critical cases like uh, asylum seekers. There will be other cases which are simpler. For example, uh, uh, Stephen and Diana, you both talked about the China visa system. I think that's a great system, although there are some issues there as well, where if a specific visa system, if a specific uh, gentleman is, uh, goes to that 20% category, which may be denied, then they have much better than the burden of proof goes to them compared to other yeah. people who actually there are, there are the issues there and i think the, mm -hmm. the bottom line is that uh, first of all there is no other way than to use ai that's one and number two some of the systems that are available today are not yet ready where they could be on the front line so we need yeah. to make that uh, classification where where AI can be used mm -hmm. and where AI cannot be used or where AI could be used as a, a way to triage. Yeah, I think you've made very clear some very discrete areas where it could be used very effectively and very, um, very innovatively, like in terms of interpretation and, and uh, document collection and maybe even in triage, but, um, but with the proviso, that there is a very, uh, uh, what did you call it? With the, um, this is my, my technical ignorance, but with the open source kind of uh, principle where the, the rule-based learning is not hidden and that uh, the rule-based systems are not hidden and that there is 
uh, that there is transparency so people know what the what the algorithms are that are being employed deployed employed so that we can challenge the, the concepts that are being utilized in in those systems but I think that that goes to me for for me to a larger question which is just the overall code of ethics that is going to be uh, informing a system where AI is going to be utilized because again, uh, even if it's going to be utilized in some ways and not in other ways, I think that um, in order for there to be buy-in, and I think that there needs to be buy-in both by, um, by advocates that are uh, interfacing with the system on a daily basis, but far more importantly, there needs to be buy-in by the public and by the people that are actually intimately interfacing with the system in terms of that their, their, their lives are dependent upon it. And I think that this is something that Mario did raise a fair bit, is just the whole notion of like what is, and I think that this is something we talked about, you'll, you'll remember better than me, Steve, um, but like just this whole notion that there has to be like uh, I don't know what it's called, like a constitution, like a code of ethics. It's like, what are the principles upon which we are going to employ an AI system in such a very important um, public service, you know, that the government is utilizing? And I don't know how that works. It's like, that's something, does anybody here know, like whether or not that's something that is like something that Canada would buy into on a national level or is it system by system, departmental or like, I don't know how that it would even work. Um, but I, I just feel very blind in this respect. I actually know a little bit more on that because I have been working on responsible AI and ethical mm. AI on the UK side, especially. Mm. And uh, Canada does have a policy on that. And then Europe mm. also has that. UK has that. Uh, US is always behind on things like these. Mm. But uh, they are also working on it. The biggest issue in all these uh, policy frameworks is that uh, what they assume is that uh, somebody in that policing organization, let's say uh, somebody on the nonprofit side, AILA, for example, here in the US, will have expertise to go through that code or that algorithm. Mm -hmm. That's not going to happen. That's impractical. That's one. So you can, even if somebody makes that algorithm available to you, I already told you that that's open source. There is no secret to that, but there is no way for you to first of all, interpret that algorithm. And AI is a very scarce, AI expertise is a very scarce resource. And that's mm. what I really feel sad about that. US is scaring all the AI expertise engineers away. That's a very bad thing. Actually, Canada is doing a much better job in that. So that's one that you cannot, even if, that algorithm is available as open source, or even if Facebook says this is what we're using. Actually, they do say that. They actually have the newsfeed algorithm available by their engineers. Now, that doesn't really help anyone because you on the law side, attorney side, does not care about what that algorithm is. What you care about mm -hmm. is well, what was the result? And to mm -hmm. some extent, what was what the intent? And to mm -hmm. some extent, intent is an easier thing than resolve, yeah. as long as you get an explanation of why somebody was accepted or rejected. You can do that. For that's sure. What, that's what you actually care about. So it's that's a policy, one. really, because it is policy. I mean, whether it's like written in a policy book, it has the same effect 
effect as policy when it's actually part of the the, the triage, the decision making process, right? And so I want my I want to know what my laws and policies are. And if it's part of an algorithm, that doesn't mean that it's not effectively policy. See, use of algorithm is an easier thing. I mentioned to you about the lawyers high school. Uh, that's the best uh, law, uh, high school here in San Francisco. And why they actually came to that policy to flip a coin to figure out who goes in was that uh, most of the kids there are Asian American. And obviously Asian Americans in San Francisco oh, yeah. are, really damn, is, are really damn smart. So obviously there will be more Asian Americans here. Now, the problem is that uh, even though that, that simple algorithm was available, the same thing was on the UK side in the high school, and that was countrywide, actually. It was still not able to stop that. And, uh, the, and if all the algorithm was published. I actually came up with an article on that uh, with a law firm in the, on the UK. I could always forward that to you. Now, the problem is not on the algorithm. The problem is that... Uh, First of all, a specific government body is not transparent ahead of time. They don't give enough time for somebody to look at it. And secondly, there's no good mechanism to get the public involved in the dialogue. That's a contestability mm -hmm. side of things. And I think that's what right. uh, I see can what easily be fixed. Uh, so mm -hmm. the issue is not the use of AI. It's right. how effectively you can use AI. Should you use AI? I mean, it says... And sometimes it's not just about AI, we can generalize this to just the use of algorithms. Human right. being needs to be involved for asylum seeker. It does not matter uh, whether AI could do a better job. Those are some compassionate yeah. cases. So you need to get somebody in front of them. Yeah, well, I'm super glad we had you on the show because I will yeah. readily admit that lawyers are, and I will include myself in this number, um, sort of fear mongering around AI. Um, and I think that the reason we are, and I don't, I don't, I don't take it back. I don't take it back. And I, I can't promise that I'll stop. Um, is that I think we all believe that laws, policies, and processes should be known and readily knowable by the yeah. public. And I think that the issue that we have, all of us, is that AI is too smart for us and they feel they make us feel like the laws and the policies and the processes make it so that we can't know or come to know what the things what what is happening behind this big machinery because we don't we well, don't and know there's just the no transparency so I'll give you yeah. an idea like um, there was a in deterrent like so I have one idea and two questions the the, the example that comes to mind is I didn't even know that um, when it comes to IRCC receiving a spousal sponsorship application, that a machine runs a test to see whether all the documents are there. And about a month ago, IRCC alerted lawyers saying, due to some glitch in how the software was programmed, thousands of applications were returned you remember this email, uh, Deanna, that we all, like everyone on the listserv got notified? I don't read the listserv anymore. <laughs> I, I, like, yeah, I like, don't have the bandwidth. Yeah, that thousands of applications were returned due to some glitch. And it's the lack of transparency to me that um, is most concerning. I do have a question about when you talked about AI boilerplate template ref like decisions, it seems to me, and maybe I'm wrong, that it's less likely that AI 
it's more likely, I'll put in the positive, more likely that AI would actually write a decision that completely reflects what the AI is quote unquote thinking and that it wouldn't think, well, I'm refusing it for reason A, but I know that either that won't be good if it was ever in the media or a supervisor won't like this, or I know mm. I'm not supposed to refuse for yep. this reason. And the AI will just yes. pump out what it's doing. So yeah. in a way, we'll get more honest decisions. Is that probable? That is... Uh, or can you train the, AI to lie? I don't know. Maybe that's part of when you're giving emotions to AI that like... Well, it might know, it might start tracking that, that when you say this reason, then that's more likely to get litigated. Yeah. AI in itself is what uh, we make of it. And uh, I think that is the best aspect of artificial intelligence that- uh, And the if, worst, Aditya, and the worst. <laughs> I would actually agree on that. Uh, that <laughs> if, 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 if it's trained correctly, yeah. it will be, it will not have biases. Uh, if I knew you were the one running the system, I wouldn't mind. It's the Wizard <laughs> of Oz, you know, it's like- <laughs> There is. So I will, I will give you a very interesting example here in the U.S. The USCIS, uh, I've talked with a lot of attorneys. I actually took the law class at uh, the UCS in law school as well. And the, the culture of uh, CIS here in the U.S. is that they look at that, okay, how can I reject this application, not accept this application? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that culture has nothing to do with uh, the Democrats versus the Republican. I mean, these are civil servants who have been there for 10, 20, 30 years. It has built over time. And to move this huge ship, takes a lot of time, but mm -hmm. AI actually does not have any one of these biases. If uh, you're, Jan, you are absolutely right that there is a flip side to it, if it's trained properly. I will give you an example, mm -hmm. another example that I uh, mentioned about uh, GPT-3. What GPT-3 is trained on is about, uh, about 100 million Reddit pages. So it has been trained on all these pages. And uh, sometimes if you ask questions about uh, terrorists, and there was a lot of studies where it said, okay, Muslims, that's wrong. You cannot make actually have those. And uh, so that is the flip side that it's garbage in, garbage out. And, and another thing that John, it's not you and me who are to be blamed, it's in our DNA. We here on in the Western hemisphere have that culture of slavery. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's when if somebody comes up with something which seems like will make a slave, we get really panicking or we get mm -hmm. offensive. That has not been the case. And this is hundreds of years back, dating hundreds of years mm -hmm. back. That has not been the case on the other part of the globe. For example, Japan and Korea, they were never in that uh, slavery mode ever. And that's where they are more receptive to using AI. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So These are the countries that. where people ran away to. So uh, it's uh, all of us, you know, okay. at some point. Yeah. And I think my last at least question that comes to mind, and you can tell me how realistic this is or not, but if we look at the data on study permit refusals, people from Africa get refused by far the most. And Let's suppose, is it possible that the AI, when it, you know, the garbage in, garbage out, 
the AI will, in looking at these applications, notice a trend amongst the applications from people from Africa to their skin color, because there'll be a trend where people from Africa are black. And at this triage stage, start then determining that black people, based on digital photos, are more likely to overstay just because of the Africa data and previous decisions, such that the AI would start triaging based on race, even if it's never programmed to do that. And if it is, how does that get detected? That's where designing a better AI system comes into picture. So what uh, we mentioned about probabilistic system and predictive systems, so expert systems where you hard code certain rules are predictive systems. Deep learning is a probabilistic system. GPT-3 is again a self-supervised learning or is a probabilistic system. So there needs to be a both of these where you have a good mix of predictive and probabilistic system. And that's that's will make sure that some of these trends, uh, you're right, Stephen, that uh, ultimately what the AI is actually looking at is uh, the applicant uh, data. Now, the interesting part here would be whether the, whether the AI system is looking at the applicant data and not looking at what the results was. I mean, see, think about this way. I will give us a very simple example. We are both here in the US or North America and even the UK is based on the Pinonic code. So it's based on that uh, we make a statue and then uh, we have different cases, uh, the judges presides over it and there's a track of that. And that's what pretty much what AI can actually do. Now those judges, they do take in, they, and that's where I don't know, you need to tell me whether the judges take into consideration what happened in the past Mm -hmm. Or do they blindly just take, okay, the result? And the same thing is how AI could be trained on. It could be trained on one or the other yeah. or the both. And that will determine whether the AI is able to, uh, uh, is, is able to is really codify that uh, somebody who's black should probably be rejected. I have an answer for that, which is it depends which judge. And so that's, I guess, the I think the counterpoint to that, Steve, is that like, well, the system would do that if left of its own devices, perhaps. But there is further data you could input into the system about systemic racism and trauma theory and all this stuff to kind of prevent the system from going off and spinning yeah. its own kind of, you yeah. know. And so it's just that's why it has to be a supervised system and not one that kind of is uh, learned through access off. to Information Act requests where <laughs> you're hoping it's not. I mean, the other the counter argument that I've heard is part of why they don't want the information released is that a visa applicant might have, let's suppose that the AI was programmed that wedding, baby, I don't know, wedding, baby, unrelated things, wedding, baby, and restaurant were like positive factors that yeah. someone could just include a blank page that had those keywords and the AI would go, oh, there's those keywords, even if they're all on the same page and just triage it to, to automatic. Be- they have to be your actual facts, though. Like you can't just oh, it'd be have misrep. a wedding. No, no, no. It'd be thing. a version yeah, of misrep. Exactly. Like it would just be, but the but no one would ever detect it because it's just AI that would be seeing those. Key, I don't know how like if you could program the AI around just like because I think that 
that's a part of what they're doing now are just keywords to look for, at least at the, the rule-based system. And that someone could just slip in all these keywords throughout the application in different ways to get a machine that automatically approves it. Anyways, to me, this goes to the point that Aditya said about like, are you building a system based on the assumption that everyone is a bad and terrible human being and that you're just seeking out fraud and misrepresentation? Are you actually trying to build a system that's just trying to adjudicate applications? Yeah, that's a good point. And lastly, uh, if you provide that applicant that I rejected your application for these and these reasons, and that is not a boilerplate, you have actually personal information, then that person could actually contest. That's where lawyers actually come into picture. That's where good versus bad lawyers come into picture. So the issue here is not making a decision. Actually, to some extent, the current state of uh, what uh, immigration processes are in the US, for example, it takes decades to process application is i mean it cannot be worse than that yeah yeah no i mean that's like the huge advantage is the reduction in time yeah and if they then came back and said you said that you're coming because of this baby well we wish to produce this information that says we understand you don't have a baby um procedural fairness asked me to produce this information and give you an opportunity to respond then it's procedurally fair you know like But again, it's like just deploying all of the ability to access all the information that's public source available, but still abiding by procedural fairness, you know, like, again, like it could be used in the service of good rather than in the service of evil and making assumptions that are not put forward and giving the opportunity to reply, you know, so. I mean, I just did it like we're in such new stages of all this, like I did a quick search of artificial intelligence. And there is yet to be a federal court case that addresses the use of artificial. And I think it's all, it's all very new because it's all still just being discovered, even though what's been discovered is that it's been used since at least 2017. Well, I think, though, that, it, that, that Mario insinuated, at least, that some of this is happening. It's just whether or not there are any reported decisions or something, is something yeah. else. It, it, yeah, so I think that that's where it comes to that uh, instead of being afraid that something will not work mm-hmm. and, and using a statute or a law as a way to figure, okay, it will not work. I think the other way is actually a better way to think about it. We should All be right. positive that it will work, but we want to make sure that there is before it get into place there is enough transparency and totally in place and the latter is what's actually missing have you had other have you had any clients that you've worked with say we don't want to disclose that we're even working in artificial intelligence until it's perfect or something similar steven is that a question for me yeah yeah oh yeah yeah so so here's how i'll actually say it that uh, first of all on the defensive side of things. So I do advise VCs, fees, and large corporations, including some government agencies. So first of all, in some of these sensitive areas, just the notion that uh, a specific uh, thing, a specific AI algorithm or a piece of software is being used is a big uh, national issue at all. I will give you a simple example. NSA, FAA, and CIA was hacked by Russians. And the way it was hacked was that uh, that uh, somewhere in the in the east, uh, 
in one of the countries, they, they figured out that they're using solar winds and they included uh, the malware in the update. So mm. that's one aspect to it that some of these government agencies are so critical that they will not want to even say what is their IT stack. It's not because they're afraid of it. It's not because it's proprietary. It is open source. We all know that in modern application, 90% of the stuff in that is open source. And if you look closely, you will know what that 90% is. But the problem is that uh, there are also bad actors out there as well. And mm. I mean, NSA and uh, DHS getting hacked. What do right. you think? So that's one think about uh, some of these where a lot of them will actually not want to disclose what they're actually doing. That's one. And secondly, some of these responsible corporations and government agencies, I will give, uh, 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 for example, a nuclear power plant or something on the defense side or on the aerospace side, there's very stringent regulations. I'll give you on the aerospace side. We also are working, as I said, on AGI for aircrafts. And uh, in some of these, uh, there are very stringent requirements of how software can or cannot be used. And there's a reason why uh, aircrafts or FAA has such really good reliability reason compared to, let's say, autonomous car. And that is because there's very, very good processes in place to triage the software to uh, figure out testing. And that is very essential. So when I say classification of artificial intelligence, there are critical use cases. I would actually contest that. Immigration is one of them. It really affects a life of a person or a set of people in a very big way. Defense is another one. Uh, critical infrastructure is another one. Cybersecurity is another one. And all of these you need to, before you use it, you need to have enough triaging and enough uh, testing of the software. Right. Not just that, you need to actually make a business case. Uh, so a software company that's contracting, let's say with defense or the Canadian immigration, they need to also make a big business case that should they be used. And that's where people like us can actually help because right. we know that the motive of a software company to go to Canadian immigration is to sell software. That's mm -hmm. how for-profit corporations is. For-profit corporations are like cancer. There's nothing wrong in it. That's how a C Corp is. But that's right. where we need to be more proactive about be on the technology side, somebody like me, and also attorneys like you that got to be proactive at that stage to go into a discussion, to make it public, to really come up with conclusion whether it should be used or not. I feel like this is like my sixth final point, but I'm really <laughs> going to try and make this my actual final point. But like, this is again, like, um, beta testing is um, something that IRCC has been colossally bad about and like time and time again they have like put systems into play that have been like embarrassingly badly tested so like we have been working with systems that have been like virtually dysfunctional for years now where like you know like just like a just basic example like there's a the express entry system you have to upload a document. You then cannot even look to see what document you have uploaded because they say that that's a security breach issue. So like, you know, I'm litigating cases, but like I can't even prove what document I uploaded because once you've uploaded it, you can't view it anymore. This is how, this is how ridiculously like crude the systems are. And, you know, um, 
they're just, they're just so basic. They're like, and so, um, so the idea that this same department is talking about using AI, um, I just don't, it does not instill public confidence. <laughs> oh, no, it idea. does not. It, I think that's, <laughs> that's the fear about which is trust. When, it um, does, I do, it does not have my about, trust. Uh, yeah. And that's, I think that's the dark side that uh, it's the dark side, in, in, you know, in incidences like this, it's not just uh, people like you and me who lose trust in the government. Oh, system. yeah. It's the general public. Yeah. And You're telling me that there's an AI system doing any triage? Like, I am not okay with that right now. But it's you know? that, and I mean, AI. it's not, they're not telling you that there is. You learn about it. No, through they're, through, yeah. For freedom of information acts in the middle of litigation that gets settled behind closed doors and there's no reported cases. But we all know that it's happening because we have friends that are doing those kinds of negotiations. Not okay for me, you know. I cannot I cannot view the document that I uploaded and we're doing count affidavits on both sides of litigation. He says this, she says that. But you're telling me that no, 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 don't worry. We're just using. We're, we're not. We're, we're just. We're just. You know, everyone knows it's called Chinook, but like nobody has something that's going to tell me what's being used, why, what are the rules, what are the limitations. You know, like. But it's not policy. It's, I swear, it's not policy. The policy is on the regs over there. So yes, I I really wish to be more optimistic and to be like confident and excited about the new and innovative ways, innovative ways that AI can be used. But right now I'm just full of fear and uh, I'm wary um, because like, again, this whole thing about the codes of ethics and the idea of it being carefully circumscribed and used in very in innovative and exciting ways. I'd love to be on board, but like uh, my, my confidence is just not there. I mean, for me, the other concern would just be, and I don't know like how much these, I assume with AI, there's a big cost to set it up and then to maintain it goes down. But just if the, you know, the department gets a budget to set up AI and then a future budget wants to cut deficits and now there's less money going into maintaining yeah. the AI and all of a sudden, you know, it's kind of like the PDFs. Like I think IRCC, oh, yeah. I've been told uses some PDF software that is no longer totally. updated by Adobe. And that's why you can't view it in Chrome. If, and we can't send their forms to our clients because they can't upload them, especially not if they happen to use the forbidden Macintosh computer. Like, don't you dare yeah, like, use so that. So if there's if a big AI, like, I don't know how often, like, I assume these have to be updated frequently, just that. Oh, yeah. Um, See, yeah. that's, uh, oh my God. so here's how I will summarize artificial intelligence. So if, AI, especially those uh, future AI systems like GPT-3 are like aliens. It's not, it's totally different than the traditional software systems they used to where you, when you have a design, then you code it, you test it and then deploy it and then you forget about it, it will work. Mm. The AI system is exactly like aliens. So they're talking about, you are talking to a totally different uh, animal from out of the space. That's one. And the second thing is that uh, AI systems need to be constantly updated. Right. They need to be trained with the right data. For example, uh, based on who the political leader was in a certain country, uh, your AI system will actually take the news and may actually change how it actually works. So you constantly need to get more data, new data, train it, retrain it, and then use it. And that's what my fear 
is, and that's one of the big reasons why uh, some of these government agencies uh, that uses critical infrastructure, let's say in the nuclear plants or in uh, aircraft, they will not use artificial intelligence. And so then my final, 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 final <laughs> is that given that this decrepit system that I can't even view my document afterwards, okay, that the guys that are running that system and that system itself crashes like at least once a week and is down for days. You, no, not you. They want me to let them work the aliens. Like, mm, no, I just, I don't like that at all. No, it's they, like any I, movie. You know, Haven't you watched any movie where the person who's no, never flown no. a plane has to hop <laughs> no. into the Cessna to escape the zone? They just know how to run everything. Yeah, I don't like that. Yeah. Well, we uh, so. So I think that's the beauty of these systems. Yeah. The, if you were, again, the, if you were running the department, then I would feel very, very differently about it. But I see, just like see the problem here is to tackling the right uh, uh, who actually build these systems. It's uh, that's that's the interesting part that uh, when it comes to uh, trying to figure out who is to be blamed, we just look top down of the USAS yeah. director, but most of the time he or she will not have enough uh, in-depth knowledge about these systems. The issue actually yeah. is at the bottom, which is the engineers who build it. So the issue would be somebody like me. Mm -hmm. It will not be the government agency. And obviously you have uh, lobbyists in between those engineering organization and the government agency. So the issue could also be in with lobbyists. And that's a, from a, from trying to find a solution to this as a lawyer, which you are, the what you want to figure out is uh, actually not go top down. You try to figure out who is the, who is the built actual system. And a simple yeah. example, the Boeing uh, Max. The issue was that uh, they hired a uh, few uh, contractors in a software services company in India, and they did a horrible job. And that's why the planes were crashing. Well, yeah, you got to go to the lowest, I mean, because it's government, especially, you got to go to the lowest, they lowest are, bidder have, who can do yeah. the specifications as uh, advertised. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, so, I said this during our last podcast, like I remember sitting in on government meetings and the CBA is going to regret that they ever let me be the chair of the section. But like, I remember sitting in on those <laughs> meetings and having them say that when they were told that they had a mandate to launch express entry, that they went back, that the bureaucrats went back to the minister and said okay well we'll need something like uh 20 months to develop and beta test and launch this program and they said okay we'll give you eight and i mean my numbers are wrong but like that was kind of the idea that they they told them how long it would take to do the r d and the all that stuff and they got they were told that they had to go live with the program in roughly a third of the amount of time that it would have taken any any development and probably with a third of the budget too so um, yeah. again it just it's not good math it's not it's not just not good math it's not good um uh economics like and i don't just talk about money i'm talking about like policy social economics you know um uh yeah that is a problem without doubt that uh uh, those decisions needs to be more transparent. I think it's not the software. Software, I guess you do need it, but there's a step even before that, when these decisions are made, when these RFPs go through, they yeah. need to be more transparent. And folks like you and me needs to 
really engage. Yes, I'm running a startup, but at the same time, we have a duty to do better good. I am an AI expert, so I should help. And that's what I've been actually doing. And the same thing on the law side as well, that yes, lawyers get bill, bill on an early basis, but uh, you all obviously have that duty to, even if you don't like these different folks, to be there and actually help yeah, them. Oh, yeah. And they will actually oh, like that. Some of them are not fun to work with, but uh, <laughs> there's a bigger good. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah. and the uh, I do think the idea that a machine could actually, without human bias of hunger, even just being hungry or angry that day, and a machine that can quickly read everything is, you know, it would be an improvement. Anyway, 100%. are there any final thoughts, final, final thoughts, final, final, final thoughts? I haven't given you my final, final, <laughs> final, final, final. You've had all my final thoughts. No, this was uh, this was very good. Aditya, thank for, oh thanks God. for coming on. Um, oh, yes. I think it That's provides wonderful. a more optimistic counterpoint to our last episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe not a counterpoint, but something that's supp- a, a supplement to our last episode. I feel like I have a more 360 degree view than I did before, for sure. I'm glad uh, I was able <laughs> to uh, convince you all to take a little bit neutral, <laughs> if not Definitely. optimistic way of how AI yeah. is. And that's what we really want to do, that uh, we are as a society at a stage where uh, we are not at a very strong point in the sense that uh, AI does not need uh, anything except electricity. Yeah, no, we humans good. cannot really escape the earth. We yeah. are organic creatures. So it's a good time. And I think there's also a pivotal time where instead of uh, trying to go against the current, mm-hmm. to be more proactive about artificial intelligence and really try to get humanity back into artificial intelligence. There's not a lot of companies doing it. My company is one. There are a few other players, but I think that's what, what will uh, determine the next uh, 20 to 30 years if yeah. they're able to succeed where right now, uh, autonomous weapons are not that prominent, but uh, very soon it will be. We're already seeing that to some extent. So we it's, better- it's a... F- it's a foolish idea to think that not um, not figuring out how to mobilize all of this technology and all of this intelligence um, is going to be uh, in our to our benefit. You know, yeah. uh, absolutely, I agree. Um, there, there's no there's there's no two ways about it. Um, we're trying to do things too quickly, and our bl- our brains are just limited. You know, we get tired and we get overwhelmed and we get overstimulated. You know, machines just do certain things better than we do, and um, and we need to figure out how to how to foster all of that and how to leverage it. And from my side, uh, I mean, open invitation to anyone who's listening that I'm more than happy to answer any questions on artificial intelligence and how AI could help in immigration. Well, how do people, Please what's your email? You should give your email. My email is uh, mohan at alumni.brown.edu. That's uh, A-D-I-T-Y-A dot M-O-H-A-N at uh, alumni, A-L-U-M-N-I dot brown.edu. All the best way is just to uh, Google me or find me on LinkedIn. Amazing. I'm one of those who's very easy to find. Okay, perfect. Wonderful. Thank you so much. That was extremely illuminating. <laughs>